Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Di. Di is a super dad, declares that he is dating his wife and with a lead by example way of living and a contagious personality who is on a mission to positively impact 1 million role models around the globe to lead a functionality fit life through education, encouragement, and community. He is an award-winning digital thought leader and author, distinguished Toastmaster and keynote speaker, former partner and chief operating officer of a multi-million dollar retail company, and sought-after lifestyle mentor and executive performance coach. Dai knows the struggles of life dishes up to us all, however, knows to keep his health and happiness a priority. He models his work based on five F's, fitness, family, faith, and finances with an overarching roof of fun built on a rock solid foundation of health. Dai also works with brand partners like Nike, Forbes, Disney, Microsoft, to name a few in many ways from spokesperson activations at live events to media appearances, speaking engagements at conferences, online campaign amplification, and digital storytelling. Dai's commitment is to engage and empower people to lead happier, healthier lifestyles. When brand partners are aligned with this vision and purpose, it's guaranteed to win-win-win, no matter how the message is shared. Join me as we have a conversation with Dai and delve into and learn nuggets of wisdom, wisdom and inspiration to take action to be your best self. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Di. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Wow. Well, thank you, Dwight. I'm, I'm super stoked. And uh, especially the first 40 minutes of us talking before we even hit record. <laughs> and I think I, 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 I'm thinking you're going to have to start recording that, even though it's not official. Yeah. I, I think it's almost the, the side conversations that are, are the best, sometimes sometime the most inspiring, right? I, it, it's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyways, it's, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and, and finally connecting uh, fellow Canuck. And yes. Uh, yes. I know you're an Oiler fan. It's, it's okay. We, you won't hold, hold it against slide. me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You've got a lot more cups than we do. So uh, <laughs> yeah. At yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. So five to zero. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, who's counting, right? Who's counting? Not me. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, all my buddies from Edmonton, they do count that. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? Uh, your past performances are not indicative of your future. <laughs> okay. Okay. I right? like that. So that there, there's, there, it doesn't yeah, mean squat yeah. until, you know, and, until they yeah. perform. 
but it is what it is. So, so Di, tell me your origin story. And the reason I ask this is I, mm. I like I tell people I'm a huge Marvel fan. And one of the things mm. that really irritates me about Marvel is they start a series and they started in the middle. Star Wars, they did the same darn thing. They start mm. in the middle and then they have shows after the fact, once it's successful, talking about the origin of where they started. Nothing starts in the middle. Everything has an origin. Um, so tell me your origin story and what key things from your childhood to adulthood that led you to where you're at currently? Wow. Well, let's see. I mean, there's some, I think probably one of the most, well, let me start. At age nine, my parents told my brother and I they were getting separated, you know, and, and as, you know, a child of that age, that's of that sort of level of development and understanding in life, uh, it, you know, it was a pretty hard thing to, to take in. And because uh, also, you know, to date myself, <laughs> I am 44 now. Uh, back then, you know, this is just over 30 years ago, uh, divorce rates, separation rates aren't uh, what they are like now. You, you know, like you look in North America now, some of the stats, uh, I remember at the time, like just to put this into context, there was, there was one other kid in my class that had parents that were separated. You know, everybody else's parents are still together. So it just, it, it, from a, a point of view standpoint and my worldly perspective at that time at age nine, you can imagine that would be, a, it, it was a big shift for me. And, and uh, I didn't take it well, uh, you know, emotionally. And, but also I was the kind of kid that would often turn perspective inward. You know, like I, I, I would hold on to those emotions. I would hold on to the concerns, the, the pain, uh, internalize it and, and not express it, uh, which m many may agree that it's not the best way to manage your stress and your, your, your emotions by just trying to swallow it yeah. <laughs> and uh, suck it up uh, and, and not show it. Uh, so what I did learn, though, through that uh, period of time, you know, sort of enduring that. I learned to deal with a lot of stress through something that I had full control over, which for me was food. And I started to find a lot of solace in the types of foods that I would eat and the kind of things that I would do, you know, those little dopamine hits came from not healthy habits. Uh, I would watch a lot of movies, play a lot of video games, not be very active. And on top of that was eating a lot of very nutrition, poor food, high calories, poor nutrition value. And so after five years of doing that, you know, hit age 14, uh, I remember one day being at the doctor and the doctor pulled my mom outside of his office and I could hear it the way they were talking about it. He goes, Betty Ann, your son's morbidly obese. And I, at the time, you know, at 14, I'm like, I don't even know what that means. You know, what's morbidly, what's obese. I, I knew it didn't, it wasn't good. He took my mom out of the freaking office, you know, to tell her that. And, uh, and I just remember once I understood what that meant, uh, it, I already knew that I was unhealthy. Like I wasn't hiding that. I, I was definitely ignorant to a lot of aspects that were, were showing up for me. Like I, I developed asthma, sore joints, uh, a lot of lethargy, like just the usual cliche that's attached to someone in that state of unhealth, I was living, that was my life, you know? And also a lot of the emotional and psychological aspects, I was very withdrawn, I was depressed, uh, you know? I, it just, life was hard, man. And, and here I was only 14 years old and already feeling like really just o o overwhelmed and uh, unsure of what to do. So like any teenage boy, I, I again, continued to just internalize a lot of my, my pain and, uh, I remember 
it was interesting, but this, this one day, and, I, and this is sort of the catalyst to, to where my life is now. I had, had this event not happened. I, I can't tell you honestly, Dwight, whether or not I'd be where I am today. But at 14 years old, uh, my, you know, being at my dad's, like we would be at his place every other weekend for a couple nights. And uh, I remember this Saturday morning, he, he was rushing my brother and I to get out. We, he obviously had some plans for us that day. I don't even know what it was now. Uh, but I knew I was being rushed. And, and so I was having my morning shower. And I would have a hack where I'd get in the shower. And if I stayed in an extra long time and got the room really hot, I knew if I come out and when I'd be telling off that the mirror would be completely covered in condensation and, you know, all fogged up. So I would not have to see my reflection. I had a really good ability of avoiding cameras and avoiding large social settings because I was very self-conscious, you know, and, and I, like I, I often say this and, and even when I talk to my own kids now that are teenagers, I, I don't know how I would have handled things had I had to live in such a connected world like we do today, you know, like just with social and everything. Like I, I just, it blows my mind. Like when I think back, like I just avoid cameras, you know, but the, the people that have cameras now in their back pockets all the time, you know, which are a lot better quality than a lot of cameras we had back then. And uh, so here I am getting out of the shower that day because I was being rushed, I'm toweling off. And I just happened to catch my profile out of the corner of my eye. And I turned and for some reason locked eyes. And then I did the scan. I remember working my way down, got to my chest, went to my stomach continued down to my legs, came back up and just lost control of my emotions. Like literally just ugly cry, <laughs> you know, like yeah. to the point that, you know, as much as I was telling off, I just kept getting wet. Uh, like the tears were just flowing. And, and all these thoughts, you know, really negative, dark thoughts, you know, just about life would be so much easier if I just wasn't here. If I didn't have to deal with this anymore. Like it's just, just that overwhelm got to a point where it was just bubbling up. And, uh, I remember actually thinking, what would life be like if I just wasn't here anymore? Well, I'm sure it'd be a lot easier well, for me, for sure. Uh, but then I started thinking about my family, thinking about my mom, my brother, some of my friends, uh, my dad, you know, and, and just thinking, no, oh, no. I, and, and to be honest with you, Dwight, I was actually very afraid of the idea of, of that finality. Because, I mean, there's no guarantee. We don't know what happens afterwards, right? Like, and, and so that unknown definitely intimidated the heck out of me. And... Uh, you know, and I was raised as a Christian. So it's also some of those ideas of, of what happens if you take your own Heaven life. And and hell. Just that, well, just, you know, as a 14 year old boy, I'm just like overwhelmed by all these other ideas that are attached to that uh, idea of potentially ending my own life. And so I was able to sort of eliminate that because I was just like, no, nah, there's no way that's going to happen. So what are my choices? You know, and I, I started to ask myself, okay, well, I know the last five years I got here on my own. Because I used to be really good at externalizing and, and pointing fingers at, at the reasons why I was in my state of unhealth. You know, like it was everybody else's fault. It wasn't mine, right? My parents got divorced. My parents keep buying the food. You know, I, I just, I, I was riddled with excuses. And that was just my life. Rather than taking ownership on my, my own situation and how I got there. And so here I was finally saying, okay, well, I know I didn't help situations and I, I got myself here. If I keep doing what I'm doing and what's got me here and I continue doing it for the next five years, where am I going to be when I'm 20? And I got really, really afraid. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid that, yeah, it's only going to get worse if I keep doing what I'm doing. 
And, and then I was like, okay, well, what if I started doing something differently? What if I actually started exercising? Maybe actually learned how to do that. Uh, what if I actually learned how to eat different foods? Maybe foods that would support health versus deplete it. And I was afraid of that too, <laughs> like, to be honest, right? Because I didn't know any of that. It was like intimidating. That's like a whole new path. I'm like, that's a whole new learning and understanding. And it's probably not going to be easy but I think it'll be worth it. And, and so here I was faced with two choices and, and really what it came down to is, I, I, I'm, and I think this is common for a lot of us, you know, we get to that pivotal moment in our life where we can see two choices very clearly in front of us, almost like a fork in the road. And, and we know we can go off to the right here, but that's scary. I can go to the left here and that's scary too. But ultimately it came down to the thing and it's like when the idea of change was presented to myself, the idea of change was a lot less frightening than the idea of continuing to live my life as I was. That was the moment. And then just like, it like clicked. And now all this probably took a few minutes, you know, sort of just going through this process internally as I was tallying off and drying my tears. And, and I remember coming out of that shower being like, you know what, I want to make some changes. I want to live life a little bit differently. I, I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. Not sure of how to do that. And so, what did I do? I, I went to the library. <laughs> My kids are like, why don't you just Google it, dad? I'm like, well, I'm older than Google. <laughs> you know, like, uh, Google wasn't around. The internet wasn't around like it is today. Oh. And uh, I remember going to the library and getting like bags of books on fitness, nutrition, healthy living, and just scouring that magazines. Like just, I, I became enthralled with trying to educate myself so I could understand because I knew if I could understand how to do this, that would eliminate a lot of the intimidation. It would give me some confidence and clarity. Because we all know once we gain that clarity and confidence, it's a lot easier to take action. Because there's a, a certain confidence that if we do a certain action or repeat a certain action, we're going to start to create certain results for ourselves. And at the end of the day, it's what we all want is results. Like when we buy stuff, we're buying stuff. Why? Not for the sake of the thing, but sake of the thing of what it does for us, how it shifts things for us. And, and so for here it was for myself, I was like, okay, well, bring all this stuff in. Uh, then what? <laughs> and, and I went back to my parents and for once, you know, because to be honest, my parents are super supportive, very loving, very caring. I had a great upbringing, you know, uh, so I don't want to knock any of that. It wasn't any like major childhood trauma or anything like that. Like they, they did the best they could with what they had. And it was great. I, I don't begrudge my parents at all. Uh, but they were always trying to support me. Like, well, we'll get you into karate lessons. I hated that. Like, well, what if we get a dietitian, which the doctor recommended? I'm like, no. You know, so every time they're trying to help me, I'm like, no. And I would get really irate you know, and, and, and fight on it. Yeah. And we've probably experienced this, you know, when someone's that you love tries to help you, we always think of it as like, and instantly I would think, well, you're saying I'm fat, you're saying I'm ugly, you're saying I need help. Like it, it just, it felt like a personal attack, even though they were just trying to support me. But all of a sudden now my mental attitude and perspective shifted where it was like, I want to do this for me, not for anybody else. And not because anybody else is telling me, but do it because I want to do it. And I remember going to my parents and expressing this and, and I, I could see in them that they were like, oh, well, this is, this is awesome. He wants to do this. And, and my dad took me out literally that weekend to go buy a mountain bike. And I just started cycling, 
knowing that, okay, this will be good. I'll, I'll just keep biking. Uh, I'll, I'll bike a lot because it's something I can do on my own. I can go by myself. I can, I remember the Sony Walkman, you know, remember the old yellow ones. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would have, uh, I, I had a couple favorite songs like Tragically Hip up to here on one side. And uh, then I had Alice in Chains on the other side. And I had another mixtape. Good variety. Yeah, it was good. And then I also had uh, one with Soundgarden and, and, and Pearl Jam. So I, I had these mixtapes that I would, would often use. And uh, it, it was fun, right? Like all of a sudden I started to enjoy it. But it wasn't until about two or three weeks in that it really clicked for me. Because I remember the first few days going out for the cycle. I, I, there was this big hill, the concession street. Uh, massive hill like I, and actually in retrospect if I think about it like I, I live in Vancouver you know what the North Shore is like I mean those are mountains <laughs> but but my limited travels in my perspective on life at that time at 14 that mountain seemed like Everest right and, and especially a, a little overweight teenager going up a mountain bike I mean it was like oh my gosh can I do this yes I can yes I can you know it was almost like that thinking back to Thomas the train when I was five years old yeah. right it's just yeah. like yes you can yes you can and choo-choo all right and so up <laughs> I go and I remember making yeah. it up a third of the way the first time <laughs> and just coming to a dead standstill but like oh, boom you know stepping off and then I could turn around and ride home but I was like no I just go to the top so I'd walk my bike up and this, this proceeded for another week, 10 days. But every time I would come to the hill, I'd make it a little bit further, a little bit further. And I remember that about three, three and a half weeks in, making it to the top. And that was when all of a sudden I realized change is possible. And it's possible at any time, you know, like it really is. And, and we can be very proactive in change in our own life. Like here I was facilitating change for myself. Now, again, I'm articulating this way. And if you would have asked me back then, I would have never said anything along these lines. But, but because I've seen this pattern repeated in my own life, every time I've come to a really, really big challenge, I've just repeated the process. You know, there's a process there, like the education, the looking for proof, then taking action, looking for support to help me take action and continue to take action. So these are aspects of change that I've repeated now, but there it was, you know, 20 months of consistently focusing on how I ate, focusing on how I moved. Uh, I started to see the changes happen. And after about 20 months, it was like, I realized a whole new lifestyle. I wasn't even thinking about it anymore. I was just doing, I was living and lost the weight. I also you know, kick-started a little bit more of uh, my testosterone, which at that time was highly uh, suppressed based on just the lifestyle that I was leading. So I definitely had low testosterone. I was late to puberty because of my lifestyle. So all of a sudden, you know, my body was like, whoa, thank you. We've been waiting for this. And, and, and so they, that also helped me. And uh, I, I literally grew about six inches uh, while shrinking uh, more than 10 inches, uh, especially on the circumference around my waist. And uh, just, just really became enthralled with this ability to, to facilitate change in my own life, especially on the physical side. And uh, so that was it. That was the catalyst. That is the origin story that got me excited about transformation, about change, about the belief that change can happen. And more specifically was, you know, up to that point in my life, you know, I hit 17 people around me saw this transformation. And I remember friends, my parents sitting down at our place, you know, come over to hang out with my mom or my dad would come over to visit and, and their friends would start asking me questions about exercise, about nutrition. And I was like, you mean me? You, you want to, you're asking me? Like, 
really? <laughs> it, it, first time in my life, people were coming to me to, to ask for support, to ask for help. Where meanwhile, I was always the guy asking for help, right? Especially over those couple of years of changing. And I got really excited because now I could help others. I actually knew something. I, I knew how to do this. I did it myself. I, I can help you now. Uh, and, and there was people wanting that help. And, and so that was when I got my first taste of coaching and mentorship and, and helping others facilitate change. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Fast forward, you know, just over 25 years I've been doing this in, in different wow. capacities, obviously. And, and I've had lots of other ups and downs in my, in my last 25 years, but uh, that was the origin. You know, that's sort of where it all began. And uh, yeah, fitness and nutrition and just healthy living has been a big part of my life ever since. Wow. It's, that is amazing. Um, I love that because in just the last 15 minutes, I've got to know so much about you and that connection. And, and we really don't do that in life. We'll sit and meet somebody and we'll have a polite conversation over coffee. But has anybody ever look at one, somebody and say, Hey, tell me your origin, <laughs> right? Tell me about you. And, and that connection, I thought our 40 minutes initially before, like you were saying was it was, it was fantastic, but I feel even more connected to you now, especially, you know, you went through age separation at such a young age to being overweight by the time you're 14 to having mm. that epiphany coming out of a shower. Like mm -hmm. that to, to think about that is, is, is mind blowing that at 14, you would have that light bulb moment, that epiphany that you needed to go and figure it out. You didn't rely on others. Yes. You had supportive parents that got you a mountain bike and you know, you had so many things that, happened to you biking up that hill that realization that hey i can change i can do mm -hmm. so much so that's yeah. that's a credit to you as a person um so bravo it's you know at such a young Thanks, age boy. to have that realization that says a ton about you and yes you're right we all go through ups and downs throughout our lives mm -hmm. and you know the last 25 30 years of your life you've gone through ups and downs but you've the catalyst for who you are today started like I love hearing that when people's pivotal moments their change happens in their lives and you didn't point at others you took ownership mm. and at that age that's just again that's mind-blowing um you know it, it is it's you, you look at the fact that all of a sudden now you have other people wanting and asking you advice you know outside people that were influential in your family circle. And that's just, that's just amazing. Bravo to you. And thank you for sharing. Before we dive further into the conversation, tell me exactly what do you mean when you state you date your wife? Ah, well, I mean, it was a number of years ago, my, my wife and I, I mean, listen, we've been together for over 20 years now, you know, we've yeah. known each other since, uh, you know, she was in her early 20s. I was like mid-20s when we met. Uh, just, yeah, actually, I think I was 23. She would have been 21. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, at that age, I mean, I had no real perspective on life yet. <laughs> I was pretty sheltered. Uh, and, you know, when you're young and you're sort of discovering things together, it's, it's great, right? And especially during those influential years and some of the challenging years too, but we, we knew we had something special. You know, there was that, that commitment to one another. And uh, oh, please do know that there's lots of ups and, and uh, oh man, we've had a lot of downs too. Uh, but one thing a number of years ago, 
we really wanted to start working on our communication and we still continue because we, we recognize that a lot of our strain in our relationship comes from just miscommunication. You know, just that idea of, because we get really comfortable with each other. Like nobody knows her as well as I do. And nobody in the world knows me as well as she does. So there's that certain level of comfort. In it. And I think when we get to that level of comfort, it's really easy just to sort of sit there. And, and at least I would find myself thinking, well, you should know what I want. You should know what I like, you know, like, but, but she's not a mind reader. Come on, you know, like, mm-hmm. and yet these were some of the, those ingrained beliefs around that. And so as we started to do a lot of, uh, of work on our relationship, which we continue to do and, and, uh, there was that thing about dating, you know, the, that dating phase when you first meet somebody. It's awesome, right? Like you, 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 you just, you're excited. I, I remember, you know, she worked in the, the, the restaurant industry and, you know, she'd be working till one or two in the morning. Meanwhile, I was working in retail uh, and selling fitness equipment through the days. You know, my days would typically end around 8 p.m., 9 p.m. And I'd have to start the next day again to open up the shop, say at 9 a.m., and, uh, but I'd stay up. I was super excited. I'd stay up and wait up for her and, and, you know, sometimes be up all night with her, you know, just talking and hanging out and dating. Right. And, uh, <laughs> going to work and I, I would commute everywhere in Vancouver on my bike, my mountain bike. So I picked up that habit from a teen and, uh, just sort of stayed on, you know, as part of my lifestyle. And, uh, <laughs> it just, I remember the excitement, you know, that, that, that feeling. And, uh, so we wanted to maintain that feeling. Like that's the feeling we don't want to lose. And, you know, so yeah, it may seem a little bit contrived and people are like, oh, I'm dating your wife. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's a choice to see it that way. You know, and it's like, how do you treat somebody when you're first getting to know them? Like we, we do treat people differently when we first get to know them, especially that, that romantic interest, right? Like there's the butterflies, there's that nervousness, there's that, that discovery phase. And so we want to make sure we're constantly discovering. We're, we we keep discovering. Like keep we don't get new. complacent. Yeah, keep it. We don't keep, keep it, bold. Yeah, keep resetting. Keep on moving forward. That's right. It's awesome. So I'm forever dating my wife, and so awesome. uh, it's a choice. It's a perspective. It, it's just a, an idea, if you will. But like any good idea, it's a great idea if you take action on it and you learn from it and you see some benefit from it. And fortunately for us, we have. But it's that constant reminder. It's why I put it out there often in my profiles. It's like, you dated my wife. I could just say I'm a husband. I'm married. Um, but it's more than that, you know? Uh, oh, that's, a, that stuck out yeah. to me when I read it. It just it did. And that's inspiring because there's so many people that, you know, listeners listen and rewind and listen to that again. You know, mm. communication is so important. And so many people yes. fail on that. And so many levels, we fail in communication with our significant other, with our children, with the people that are surrounding us. And we live in our own little cocoon, our own little life. And we forget that within our own little world, other people are interacting with us and we have to allow them in. And we Mm. have to also be present in every conversation and not make assumptions that we know somebody so well just because they're close to us. And then we take them for granted. And yeah, then that Mm. separation happens. And that idea of dating your wife forever is exciting and i hope whoever you know is listening or watching um because i do have this on youtube as well that they understand that it is so imperative to communicate and if you want that feeling that happens in the first six months it takes effort 
anything mm. worthwhile in life takes effort. You know, if it, I look at people where everything seems, you know, in my past, it seemed that it came so easy to them in relationships. Mm. And really when you, you open up the door and enter past the facade that they present, their struggles, there's trials, they are yeah. working, they're working their ass off to have <laughs> a life of, so like you said, there's ups and downs between your wife and you, and you stay up all night to be connected to her, so you can connect it and, and to take that feeling and still, I can see the joy in your face, to be honest with you, that is amazing. So those of you that are listening, his face lit up when he was talking about the fact of staying up all night and communicating with his then you know, girlfriend, fiance, whatever the case may be. And that is powerful to have that still have that resonate and come out of your face is amazing. Kudos to you, brother. Like that is amazing. And I, and I will never forget this. And I will add this into conversation when I'm coaching people. I do relationship coaching just because of my finance, well, because of my finance business, it comes up. People don't realize somebody that sells finance and people that live finance, meaning teaching and educating and help people live life on purpose. There's lots mm. of relationship conversations I have. And I, I take little yeah. nuggets information like you just shared, and it becomes what I can teach and help others. Mm. And I can say, you know what, I have, a, I have a friend that went through this. Maybe this is where you could get to. And now, thank goodness, I can say, how about you go to this episode of my podcast? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious. It's, 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 it's a yeah. good tool. Right? To help others for sure. understand that other people struggle. They go through relationships, ups and downs. And if my friend and I can go and, you know, read dating his wife the rest of his life and, and continually have that, you know, not always, but having that energy yeah. of that first six months, first year being with somebody, that's fantastic. If somebody else can do it, you can do it. You just need to believe in yourself. And maybe they should reach out to you and have a conversation about <laughs> it. Maybe you can help them. For sure. Right? It's, Happy to do so. Happy so to do much. so. Thank you. Well, so thank much. you, Dwight. I live by the mantra, helping people live life on purpose, not by accident. And in 18 years, I've empowered many individuals and families to do just that. You mentioned the three P's in our lives, passion, purpose, and process. Can you explain hmm. the three P's and how it has shaped your life and how it has helped you serve others? Hmm. Yeah, it's a, I've made mention to process, you know, cause like anything, there, there's many processes out there. And I think this is the coolest thing. We had, we've had some pretty candid conversations around mentorship and, and I can tell Dwight that you've, you work with a lot of different mentors to, to help you in different areas of your life. And I think that's phenomenal. I think we all need a few more mentors in our lives, you know, and I think people have a, a deep desire for that. And the cool thing about working with mentors specifically versus say a coach, because I think coaches are great. They, they understand a system or a process as it relates to coaching and, and helping people maybe see past the objections, see past the challenges, see, just, just shift their perspective only so slightly that what seemed insurmountable before now seems like, oh, yeah, I could work away. There is another way around that obstacle, you know? And I think coaching is great because it helps people identify, especially the blind spots that they don't see. They don't even know they're there. And yet mentorship, I find, is specifically, you know, at least in my own experience, uh, when I work with a mentor, it's because they've already excelled or worked through challenges that maybe I'm experiencing right now. 
So there's a little bit more experience, I find. Uh, it's almost like the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Like uh, knowledge, uh, and I, I like this sort of analogy uh, or metaphor, if you will, you know, take a tomato, right? Like a, what's a tomato? Well, a tomato's a fruit. We learned that in, in, in grade school, right? Like I used to always think, well, tomato is a vegetable, isn't it? And, and, but it's not. It's actually categorized as a fruit. Well, that's general knowledge. Wisdom, though, is knowing that you don't take a tomato and put it in a fruit salad. <laughs> you, know? like, you do that one time and you, you realize, whoa, what happened to my fruit salad? This thing's crap. <laughs> you know? and, and that is wisdom. It, it is knowledge through experience. And so I, that's how I sort of differentiate between coaching and mentorship, especially. And so when I think about mentorship, I think of standing on the shoulders of giants. I forget who that, where that quote's from. It might've been a Jim Rohn quote or a Stephen Covey. I don't, I don't remember which one I, I, I heard it from, but you know, this idea of, of being able to learn from other people's examples and lives and choices and actions and, and the results that they've created. It's like, why well, start from ground zero where I can stand on your shoulders, learn from you. You can point out some things in front of me that maybe I haven't taken into account yet. So I don't have to have quite as many challenges as maybe they had, or, or I can circumvent some challenges entirely that I wouldn't have anticipated otherwise. That again is also a process. So processes are important because it gives us a lot of that clarity and confidence we need to take action, right? It's like, why do we hire coaches? Again, I said it earlier, we want to work with people because we want to create a certain result. If they have a set system, a blueprint, a roadmap, just a life path that they've been following that where they've learned a lot of this, they can then also be able to, to articulate that and teach that because there is a, a documented process, if you will. But processes without passion and purpose really are meaningless. And when I mean meaningless, it, it, it's like uh, it, it, there's no personal connection. It, it's like doing a job you don't like right? It's like you show up, you do it, you go home, you don't think about it. It's like a clock in, clock out, done. And process is sure you're doing that. Why? Because you're getting a paycheck. There's stability there. I get that. And I respect that. I've had many periods of my life where I've done the same thing, but it's really hard to sustain that. It's hard to get excited about it. It's hard to just feel excited to get up in the morning if that's your prospect for the day the only process that you're going to adhere to. And that's why the, the first two P's I think are quite essential and having the passion, it, it, it's hard to define, right? It's sort of like how Simon Sinek talks about why, or, or a lot of the other ones out there, you know, like even Tony Robbins as well, when they talk about that why element is an emotional connection. It's not easy to, to, to explain at times because it's a different part of our brain. Even, you know, it's that emotional part of our brain that, Hey, we all know we got emotions and, and uh, people often say, wow, you're just being emotional. I'm like, well, no, I'm a human being that is emotional. <laughs> it's not the other way around. It's not an emotional person now being a human being. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's yes, just who we are, man. And we're human beings being human. And an element of that is that we are emotional beings too. So uh, that passion is sort of that, that fire, that, that fire within us that gets lit where we just love whatever it is that we're diving into, you know, we often hear people refer to this as like your flow state, right? Like that, that uh, when you, when you do that thing, you lose track of all time. 
You know, it's like when I get really zoned in on some of the things that I do, I know my family will come in, my kids will come in, they'll be talking to me, they'll leave. And then later on, they'll be like, yeah, we had that conversation. I'm like, I am sorry. <laughs> I was probably on my computer. I was doing, so I was in flow. In the zone. Yeah. Everything just black. It's like I'm in a little cave, you know, and, and this is my world. You can't get in here. I am in the zone right now. I am in flow. And that's often derived from me working on things that I'm very passionate about. So, so that's sort of the passion. And it's like, and, and then some people are like, well, I don't feel that way about anything. I'm like, ah, I think if you search, you either have in the past or maybe you do now. It's just, it's not as front of mind because of everything else that's happening for you right now. So sometimes it's just creating the space to get re-engaged with one's passion. Purpose on the other hand, and, and I, I, I love purpose. Uh, I know it's a very broad term, but I, I love how the Japanese describe it with a philosophy called ikigai and the ikigai uh, in japan and if you do some reading around the blue zones in particular and this is how i sort of got turned on to this was the blue zone was the research work done by uh, doctor uh, dr uh, dan butner and uh, it, along with national geographic they they researched these five areas around the world five five population densities where they have people living to be 100 or older and they have the highest density in population of these centurions. So he's like, wow, there's got to be some commonalities between these five places because they were spread it across the world. There was a place in Japan. There was a place in Italy. There was a place in the U.S. Like they, they were all spread out. And he's like, but there's got to be some similarities here. There's got to be like, there's something to this. There's just why in these five little places, they got people living to be 100 and they're not just like waiting around, right? They're not like waiting there to, to die. And I hate to be that blunt, but... I think some of us have that perception that when you get to that age, it's like, you're just biding your time right now. It's like, you're lucky, right? We were talking about luck before, right? <laughs> like you're, you're lucky to make it to that age. And I'm like, I don't think luck really has anything to do with it. I, I think a lot of it does play into lifestyle. And Dan Butner went and they did this research and they monitored this. And there was nine themes, nine common things that these centurions were doing in each of these five populations. And one of which was they had this close connection of purpose, this sense of purpose, this reason to get up in the morning that, that, that just fueled them, right? Like they, they, there was a reason to be alive. And, and the Japanese call it ikigai. And uh, I, I love that philosophy. And so I, I encourage anybody that's in this, uh, uh, listening to this, you know, there's plenty of content out there that talks about Ikigai. And uh, when you start to dive into that, it, it, it just gives you a different idea of sort of looking at life. You know, it's a life philosophy, really. But at the middle of it is this idea of, of really being on purpose. And, uh, and so I, I really enjoyed that. I, I love that aspect. And uh, it's like when you get up in the morning, are you fired up? You told me earlier, Dwight, you woke up before your alarm. You always do. And I'm like, yeah. And you're probably excited to get up, you know, because you, you already know the day ahead. I'm going to tackle some cool things. I'm going to meet some cool people. I'm going to impact some people. I'm, I'm doing what I believe I'm meant to be doing. And I'm passionate about it. I feel I'm on purpose. And if you have a process to align with that, whew, this is where we accomplish big things, you know? And so it, it's trying to align those three P's, right? What's well, the best yeah. we're doing. And I'm not saying it's ever, you know, perfect. I mean, perfection, we're not looking for that. We're looking for progression though, you know? And we're looking for that continuation to see forward momentum created and maintained. And, and yeah, I, I think that's the, the secret sauce, so to speak, to, to, to living a great life you know, is getting clarity on those three areas and, and trying to work them together in a way to create the results that you want to be living. 
And uh, if you want to live to be 100 plus, well, definitely look at some of those other eight factors that play into these centurions and how they're living so well. Uh, I could obviously dive into that stuff that I'm very passionate about. I'm right on that longevity uh, hack train right now. You know, I'm diving all into that and, uh, and, and I'm loving that because I want to be that guy that's 80, 90 years old. And if I got great grandkids running around me, I want to chase them like I was chasing my own kids when I was in my 20s and 30s, right? So uh, that, that is my idea of, of getting old with, with a lot of passion, <laughs> you know? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the point behind the three piece. Living life on purpose, yeah. Well, if you want to, in your 90s, do what you did in your 20s, you have to live life on purpose. Um, so you talk, man, there were so many great nuggets. Again, <laughs> listeners, rewind, listen again, take notes. Um, you know, you talk about, you mentioned about, you know, wisdom and the fact of, uh, you know, for me, I always tell people wisdom is not something that you just are inherently born with or just all of a sudden one day you have a light bulb go off and you have wisdom. You have life that is full of challenges and ups and downs and hills and valleys and you have mistakes that happen. It's what do you do with that mistake? How do you define it in your mindset? I tell people you need to, and I coach people, you need to take and mentor people, you need to take mistakes and you need to flip it on its head and tell, it, tell yourself every time you have a mistake, what lesson did I have? happened to me at that moment right it happened then but now i'm looking back at it what lesson can i can i extrapolate from that and mm. and teach your mindset to not think of the word mistake think about mm. life lesson now that life lesson that i've now gone through and experiences is over it's in the past but it can help me with the present and the future and create something that I tell people that creates wisdom. So some of the most wisest people that you will meet in your life have lived a bunch of mistakes that they pivoted into a life lesson and created wisdom. And it's all how we train our brains and how to think. And you mentioned, um, you know, same sort of idea, like people are living, you know, they're just, going through life, going through the motions. And I, I always refer to it as being on a hamster wheel where people go to work, go home, get paid. And they just, they don't, they don't get the fact that life is full of life lessons. They're, they're never, um, you know, mentored or coached. And you talked about the difference between the two and that a mentor is somebody that's, you know, gone through it, experienced it. And there is a difference. You're right between coaching coaches give you, a formula or they give you a structure that you're supposed to follow and you go run with it. A mentor has actually gone through everything that they're trying to explain to you. They've done it real time. They're the type of person that we really, no offense to just people that coach, a coach slash mentor is what you should be looking for. Somebody that actually has gone through the school of hard knocks that has gone through that mistake, life lesson, lesson, pardon me, wisdom building, and yeah, there's a reason why they're centurions. That's the fastest because I teach on economics and stuff in Canada to people. Mm -hmm. And that's the fastest growing segment of our population in Canada too, is centurions, 85 plus. And why is that? Well, because more and more people, I can't believe the people I know in their 70s and 80s and how they're, they, they're sadly though, a lot of them are forced into figuring out nutrition and health because of things that happen to them. Mm -hmm. But, and some embrace it. Other ones are just like, 
like you said, they have the finality of death. Death's coming. You're just waiting every day. Oh, oh my eyes, I'm not dead today, right? Mm-hmm. And, they, and they realize, they don't realize that there's so much more to life that it's never too late to pivot and change. It's never too late to live your life on purpose, not by accident. Mm-hmm. And I have, and I, seriously, I talk to people in their 60s and 70s and they're just like, ah, oh, I can't change. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Oh, absolutely you can you literally are in you're alive but you're going back and forth and you're just digging your own grave and just mm-hmm. waiting for the day where they throw the dirt on top of you if you stop believing that you can't change and the person that you know whoever started changing society's mindset and saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks ought to be slapped <laughs> really they ought to be slapped and said hey quit teaching stupid ass shit like that because really it's never too late to change Ever. That's right. Well, and, and you know? change happens whether we like it or not. You know, at yeah. Buddha 2,500 years ago, he, he said, you know, like this too shall pass. And all he was getting at was, and a lot of people think it means the negative, you know, so every challenge, every bad thing that happens to me, don't worry, you'll get through this, this will pass. But he was also referring to all the amazing things that happened in our lives. Every birthday, every first kiss, you know, <laughs> every caress, every, every new thing that you've experienced, you know, even reconnecting with friends, like everything that makes life great, it happens in a moment and then it passes. And, and so it's, again, this idea of that mindfulness and bringing everything back to that present moment. Because when we try to prevent change from happening and it happens anyways, <laughs> we feel out of control and we, we're there. Why did it go away? Why did that stop? You know, I had a great birthday yesterday. Couldn't it just be my birthday every day? You know, like, and, and it's this too shall pass. And, and I think when we accept and change that it's going to happen, whether we like it or not, it, it's definitely a lot easier to handle it if we, we are looking for the silver lining, or as you said earlier, you know, it's the lessons in the challenges, you know, and Joseph Campbell in his book, The Power of Myth, he talks about the hero's journey, right? And, and the, the stories that, that unite us all through the, through, through the eons, for as long as we've been able to tell stories, whether through little pictures on a wall, to the spoken word, to the written word, like stories is what teaches and inspires and connects us and educates us. Like, it's just, it's empowering once we start to understand the hero's journey every one of us are on. Everybody's got a story too. Everybody does. these journeys. And, and I love his teachings and I, I won't go into a lot of details on it, but for anybody that's interested in this, there's some phenomenal work around this, you know, that, that he's documented through the histories, you know, being a historian, a philosopher, a documenter, like he unfortunately passed back in the eighties, but before he passed, you know, in the seventies, he was mentoring someone by the name of George Lucas. <laughs> and it was, he was the one that actually inspired George Lucas to, to write Star Wars, you know, and, wow. and or at least, or sorry, he had the idea of Star Wars, but then he worked with Joseph Campbell from a story perspective to, and understanding this hero's journey. And it's also, that changed everything in the movie landscape. Like when you look at movies after Star Wars, there is a bit of a formula, right? That we see repeated a lot, especially in the blockbusters. You know, there's a certain formula. Like I, I just listened to Matthew McConaughey's book, uh, Green Lights, and a phenomenal book, very inspiring. I think Dwight, if you haven't listened to it, you would totally dig this one. And, and knowing that your listeners and just the themes that you live in your life, it's just a very inspiring book. But he talks about his involvement in the rom-com, right? The romantic comedies and how he sort of carved a name out. But those are super formulaic, right? Like there's always a very similar pattern. And, and what is interesting, the hero's journey is there's a whole bunch of different types of stories, but 
they're almost like metaphors to us in our own lives. And that's also why we have this deep connection. You know, we encounter a big challenge, we overcome it, or we learn from it. And then with that learning or gained wisdom, we often feel drawn to go back to our beginnings, wherever we started our journey from to now help others who may be going on a similar journey. And this is sort of where the, the, the person that's out there traveling has now become the travel guide, right? And he yeah. talks about their involvement of coaches and mentors and parents and, and, and just the gurus, you know, he sort of calls it in the book, uh, that influence us and help us pivot our path ever so slightly uh, when we're on these journeys. And uh, Paulo Coelho, the alchemist, is a prime example of this kind of a story, right? Uh, which I also recommend to people, you know, the alchemist is by far one of my favorite books. And it was actually the book I gave my wife on our very first date. So uh, wow. anybody that's looking to, to catch a, a beautiful woman or, or, or you looking <laughs> to catch a beautiful man. Well, listen, The Alchemist, great book. It goes either way, you know? So, uh, um, but uh, yeah, so th those are things that sort of came up when you were just talking there, Dwight, and sort of re re recounting what I was saying. But uh, um, also that, that just on the note of being on purpose, I, I find that people that live on purpose live a life with far fewer regrets, right? Because you're actively choosing to live a certain life and we accept whatever comes from that. It's like, it was my decision. I am doing what I want to be doing. So whatever the, the repercussions are from doing that thing, that's on me. But at least I made that decision. So when we reflect back, like even me quitting my career just over five years ago, of 17 years to go do something completely different I knew nothing about, but knowing that it was something that I wanted to do, figure it out as we go. Okay. Because I know even 10, 20 years from now, if I'm reflecting back and my wife and I are sitting on a beach somewhere, we're like, man, you remember that time? <laughs> sure glad we did that because I'd rather have done it, maybe not go to plan, but I would have learned from it, but I'd be able to experience that and still reflect on it in a positive light, seeing that I've learned from it rather than being there 20 years later, man, remember that time when we had that idea about quitting our jobs and taking our kids out of school and trying to be a full-time family, seeing the world? <sighs> that was a great idea. <laughs> I really wish we did that. You know, I don't want that. And I find that people that live on purpose, they don't have those stories. You know, at least far fewer of them. Bronnie Ware wrote a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And, you know, she's a, a wonderful Australian lady that, that wrote this great book, did a great TED talk on it. But she was dealing with people at end of life. And she would have these conversations with them. And, you know, as I carried for people, making them comfortable at end of life, I experienced this firsthandedly with my own father a few years ago when he was passed from pancreatic cancer. And I remember being in the hospice for that eight days before he passed. And I mean, when you're at that stage, it's just a matter of trying to be comfortable, right? Pain management and, and trying to help with that ease of, in that transition. And, and it's, it's not easy at all. <laughs> not easy no. at all. So, and, and these, and my father was 72. He was a young, what we always thought was healthy, you know, until he wasn't. And uh, you just, you never know, right? And uh, where I'm going with this is there's these five regrets that she found with all the people that she was talking to and, and getting to know and had this great bedside manner with. There was five regrets that almost every single person had at least one or maybe all of those. So can you imagine this? You're at end of life. You're asked a question, hey, is there anything you regret not doing? Is there anything that you wish you could have done or would have done? And, and you had these five recurring regrets. Like they kept popping up. And so she was inspired to write this book and do this TED Talk. And it's just, when you dive into that, because I think it's important to look at this. This is the flip side of that coin, 
right? Because you got Dan Butner researching people under their hundreds and they're, you know, kicking ass and taking names, <laughs> you know, <laughs> loving life, doing yeah. the, the jig, literally like the people in their hundreds doing dance classes, like gardening, like self-reliant. And, and yet here on the other one, you got people in their 60s, 70s, 80s at end of life regretting a bunch of things they didn't do. And it's like, whoa, which path do I want to follow? What path am I following right now? What am I doing today that it guarantees I go a little bit closer to that one versus this one? Living a life on purpose versus a life of... And so once you know those five regrets, you can't unlearn them. And I think this is the beautiful thing. You can be ignorant to it, but they're there and you know they're there and it will eat at you. And uh, the five regrets, if you want, I'll give them to you right now. Do you want to hear them? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I wish, Absolutely. Okay. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected me, uh, expected of me. So you think about that. I wish I had the courage to live a life that I wanted, not the life that I believed everybody expected me to live. Like that one's a tough one, right? Like it's how many times, if you think back on some of our own choices and actions that we take, I remember going to UBC and I went to the sciences because I thought it would make my dad proud. <laughs> like I did that, you know, like, yeah, of course, it, it, that was a motivation. I didn't want to do it. I did it because I honestly felt to make him proud and he'd be proud of me. And it was like that, that validation I was looking for. And uh, yeah, that was the reason why I flunked out that first year <laughs> and then came back into the arts because <laughs> that was a better fit for me. That's actually what I wanted to do. It was in line with my passions. Right. Um, another regret. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. So you can imagine at the end of life, you're thinking back, it's like, man, I really wish I didn't work so hard. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that one. That's a big reason why, you know, five and a half, almost six years ago, I quit my career. We can talk about that in a second. I, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. What's super interesting is when you look at the blue zones and you look at some of the research there, one of those nine factors that are attributed to why these people are living into their hundreds and thriving is they have close community connections. They prioritize family and friends. Interesting, right? So here are these people in their hundreds thriving. Yeah. They don't have that regret. Another regret. <laughs> this one is a, is a tough one. And, and it's one that hits close to home for me. You know, I, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. So I sort of communicated that to you earlier, you know, at age nine, especially when my parents separated and eventually divorced and, and even me at 14, just how I would keep everything in, keep it all in to the point that it was like, Ooh, and it would manifest in a lot of other negative ways in my life. And how did I cope with it? Well, with food, you know, later on into my twenties and thirties, I used to cope with alcohol and drugs. That was my coping mechanism. So it went from food into something completely on the other end of the spectrum, which was just as equally as harmful. You know, and uh, there's another story there. Uh, and then the last one, Dwight, the last one. And we talked a little bit about this actually in the, the pre-conversation, right? To, to this conversation, this recorded one. I wish I had let myself be happier. Like that tells you, you know, happiness is a choice, right? We can choose to be happy. We can choose to do the things that lead us down a path that allows us to maximize our, our happiness, our sense of fulfillment, our sense of joy. Joseph Campbell, I talked about earlier, he calls that following your bliss. You know, choosing a life where I follow a path that allows me to follow my bliss, follow my passion, my purpose, you know? So it's interesting because, I mean, you're looking at all these different, I know I'm dropping a lot of different names and resources, but I've been so fascinated by all this stuff. And, and you start to see the connections between all these different things. It's like, you know what? These are clues, man. 
<laughs> this is Clarissa living a great life. And, and here we are, you know, scratching our head thinking, what do I got to do? What do I do next? You know, how do I do this? It's all out there. It's all out there. And there's some amazing resources. So I've, I've been slowly compiling a lot of this stuff together. And uh, it's actually one of the big topics I talk about in my keynotes, you know, is, is putting this all together for people just so they're aware. Because once you're aware of it, like I said earlier, once you know that this is out there and there's these possibilities, there's these options, these choices that you can make, it starts to make you feel a little bit more empowered in your own life. That you can choose to start taking certain actions that lead you down a path that allows you to literally be happier, to be healthier, to, to be more fulfilled. And I think at the end of the day, isn't that what we're all chasing, right? I think we are, you know, to, to some extent. So yeah, anyways, that was, was a bit of a tirade there. I know I, I've been That's told okay. this before, Dwight, that when I get talking, sometimes and the amount of information I can share at times is like drinking from a fire hose. So uh, oh, that's okay. I apologize, I got you all you know wet. What? <laughs> <laughs> People just realize that yeah we're gonna have to have another conversation and have another <laughs> podcast because there was so much even in our preamble be that uh we talked about as well but you're right life of regrets um and there's so many people that have life of regrets and i look back at all the tumultuous stuff that i've gone through in my life from you know separation divorce to childhood bullying to everything and I look at, and I wonder, you know, I wish things could have been this way, but I wouldn't mm. be the person I am mm. today if it wasn't for the, all the things that I experienced in life. And you talk about, you know, we, we hide from things we use addictions or whatever to, mm. and w to fuel ourselves to feel better. When in reality, life itself, success leaves clues. Like you mentioned, mm. all the books, mm. all the things you've researched. There's so much great information out there for us to delve into that can help us to not live a life in quiet desperation. And I talk about that a lot. Um, and the years of living that way, I did that for many years, especially as a single dad raising my mm. children on my own and uh, that quiet desperation, that helplessness when there was so much around me and there were so many things I could have plugged into to not live that my brain wasn't there yet. My six inches wasn't there yet, but there was so many different clues to how I could change. And myself, one of the most, you talked about dropped a lot of books and stuff. I think one of the things that helped me the most, um, couple different books one of them though was how to win friends and influence people mm, kind, yeah. and yeah oh amazing and the new one that his kids redid called how to win friends and influence people in the digital age if you haven't oh, listened cool. to it i, I recommend I it oh yeah the kids oh, redid a bunch of it and added cool. social media and stuff into it you can find that's it on great. i listen to a lot of books it's on audible yeah me too um, okay that's great um yeah so and you know books like the magic of thinking big Mm, I, yeah, an amazing yeah. book and don't get me wrong i love stephen covey stuff too i've mm -hmm. i've you know you know what we talked about relationship books and stuff one of my favorite mm -hmm. books and i've gone through it five times now the five love languages and it's not because i'm looking I recommend to all my clients man yeah I, i've given it yeah. as presents to people yeah. um i love the book not because it's about having a good relationship with a significant other it's about life relationships and that everybody yes. has yeah a love language and if you really want to serve others you owe it to mm -hmm. yourself and to them in order to connect and understand love languages but yeah you dropped mm -hmm. a lot of great stuff 
And yeah, never. One thing I would recommend: never apologize for being. Yeah, no, no, fair never, enough. I say that never, tongue in cheek, never, okay? Never, it's, yeah, uh, I, I get it. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah. that to the listeners; they don't get it, right? So that's right. why I'm saying to the listeners: um, you know, Dai is sharing from his heart. You, there's no finite amount of time. You know, if the podcast is an hour and a half, who cares? But at bottom line, you have to, you have to be who you are. And if you're a person that shares and sprays people with a fire hose, whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Put your I'm rain gonna, jacket on. Here we go. Yeah, yeah I'm going to yeah. skip forward here. Bast a few different things I wanted to ask. We'll, we'll keep that for another podcast. What exactly do you mean by role of vulnerability as a man, if we mm. choose to allow it into our lives? Yeah. Well, the last few years, so I sort of alluded to, to a bit of a backstory there where I, I sure, I, I never really, like, you know, in my teen years, I, I'll be really honest, one of my external or as they say, extrinsic motivations for wanting to get healthy and fit as a teen was I wanted a girlfriend. <laughs> okay. Like I did, I wanted, and, and you know, obviously we can go a little bit deeper on that. And um, my therapist and the psychologists I've worked with in the past, you know, they would say that it was my desire to want to be loved, you know, and, and yeah, full on, man. I'm, I'm not denying that. I wanted a girlfriend. And, uh, but most of my work was on the external was on the surface. Right. And that's, that's my only qualm with the fitness industry uh, as a, you know, as a whole, it does a great job at really talking about the physical aspects of, of fitness. But, it, you know, for me, it's so much more than that. You know, I mean, it's a body, mind and spirit or soul connection for me. You know, it's just, it's just that conduit for me to, to really manage some of the hard stuff in life, but also to, to just be able to manage the good things even better. And what I find super interesting is as I aged and I replaced the food, I didn't really start doing any internal work. You know, most of our life we're, we're spent just taking everything in that we observe, but we rarely turn the, 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 and fix our sight on what's happening inside. And, you know, so I was so focused on professional development. <laughs> I really didn't do a lot of personal development, even though there's some overlap there. But what I mean by this is I didn't do any like that inner work stuff. It was always geared towards career advancement. And that was often my motivation in my 20s, especially in my early 30s. And, and so as much as I was still focusing on the external and external results, ignoring what was going on on the inside, still repressing a lot of emotions, I uh, used to cope with stuff by having alcohol. You know, I drink. At the end of the day, that was my crutch. It was my way of like whew, decompressing. Oh, I'll just have a glass. Bottle later, right? Oh, let me want to cork another one. Oh, Chrissy, would you like a glass? Oh, you're still in your first glass. Well, let me open up another bottle. So if you want a second glass, you, you know? can have one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have yeah. one ready for you if we get there and I don't finish it. Uh, but this was just a habit. It became just part of my lifestyle. And you can imagine someone that's in the health and the wellness space, it's, 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 there's a lot of conflict there, you know, and, and, there's certain terms in the, the coaching space where, yeah, I, I kind of felt like a fraud at times, you know, and uh, because here I would talk about all these healthy aspects of living a great life and, and being healthy and all that. And meanwhile, on the flip side, you know, shielded away from the rest of the world, I was showing up for my family completely differently. So there was a, uh, you know, people call it cognitive dissonance. You can call it all sorts of stuff, but I, I, there, I was out of integrity. Okay. And 
with all that extra pain and stress that came with that, what would I do to, to quell that? Well, <laughs> I cope with it with more booze, which would often lead, depending on my association, who I was at with, to also certain types of drug use, certain narcotics. And, uh, and I'm not proud to say, but it also led to, at times, me being promiscuous, you know, and doing things that I'm not proud of doing, which weren't who I ever believed I was going to be that kind of guy. And uh, I'll give you the short version. You know, it got down to one of those days where my wife sat me down and my kids were both under the age of six at the time. And she's like, I know you're not being the type of man that you can be or that you want to be. The kind of guy that I fell in love with, you know, and, and I could tell where the conversation was going, you know, and, and, and she was. She was setting it up to be like, you know, this is not the environment that's suitable for our kids to be raised in. And I couldn't argue with that. Like, to be perfectly honest with you, Dwayne, like, like, she was absolutely 120% correct. It was not that kind of environment. And uh, she asked me a question. She goes, Di, are you being the type of man that you'd want your daughters to marry? That question, it just all of a sudden, boom. You know, it's like the right question asked at the right time by the right person for the right reason can shift everything. Like change happens like in an instant, right? Like that was it. That question all of a sudden it was like everything came into focus. It was weird. And sort of like when I was 14, looking at myself in that mirror that day, right? It was that, that same sort of idea again was like, okay, here comes change again. I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's going to be hard, but I know if I continue drinking and continue living the life I'm, lifestyle I'm living right now, I'm going to be alone. And I might be dead. Or, you know, over here means, oh, me getting rid of this coping mechanism. Me starting to value the life I have versus this life that, that tends to prioritize alcohol, drugs, sometimes other women. Okay, I like that path way more, <laughs> you know? And, and so it, it, that's what started. I, I made a commitment to go one year, just no drinking, just to, to show myself that I could. And also there's you know, just to start working on me, turn that focus inward. You know, this is almost 11 years ago now. And that one year has turned into a lifestyle. I haven't had a drink since. Um, I wouldn't say I was addicted to alcohol, but I definitely valued alcohol and the way it made me feel over my life that I had. And it was just a value proposition. I kept valuing that other thing. It was an escape. And what happened was this super interesting. As soon as I made that decision to cut that out and just stop and start valuing what I had to be grateful for in my life and what I had right now that was real in the present moment that I could potentially lose if I don't make some changes, I took those crutches away and I realized I had a pretty bad limp, okay? And metaphorically speaking, <laughs> I, yeah. and I, I had to learn how to deal with that. And this is where the, finally I, I started to embrace that work of going inward and working on me. Yeah, trauma release for sure. Trying to deal with some of that old scars that were there that I created myself based on how I dealt with things in my youth. And also I had to learn new ways of coping, new ways of dealing with my mental health and, and stress in my life and some of the anxiety that and overwhelm I would feel at times. And it was great, but it wasn't easy at all. <laughs> it was damn hard, uh, but it was worth it. And this piece of vulnerability was that day, you know, where she asked me that question and I was really good at bottling everything in. 
but I felt compelled at this moment, to, at that moment, to share with my wife everything. And because we needed that, to, to have a clean slate, to, to create uh, a foundation on which I could rebuild trust with her, I had to have full disclosure on everything, all the transgressions, everything I was doing, everything I was feeling. It was me being vulnerable. That burden, and everything. that burden that you took off your chest, though, was you needed to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I know that now, but at the time, it was pretty damn scary, Dwight. Oh, like, uh, you, you I know. agree. I'm not, yeah. saying, I'm not yeah. taking away or discounting it. Yeah, but no, you're right, though. I, like, I felt like I was compelled to, but, it, you know, and up it to then, I thought vulnerability is a weakness, okay? Like, I really did. I thought, you know, Most when men you're vulnerable. Do, Most well, men do, though. Yeah, you're right. That, well, it's not our fault. I like society, to make this known. Society, society it, created it. That it is a cultural stigma. thing. Yeah. Well, you look up how things are defined. Language is a big deal, right? That's, that's how we often group thoughts and ideas and concepts. And it's how we understand and interpret and, and ultimately assimilate into our own lives, you know, or at least the subconscious understanding of certain subject matter. And when we think about men and women, we think about just very polarizing. And this is the whole thing with, you know, with the transgender movement, which, uh, you know, coming to the forefront now, and just this new understanding and ideology of differentiating between different types of people. And, and I'm all for that. I, I think it's great. You know, like I, I think it is needed because we're not all the same and there's not just black or white, right? Like there, there's many colors here. There's many shades when it comes to just humanity. And, and so understanding that there's different ways to do, explain it. So we do need a new language or a new lexicon to, to understand this. Cause you look up the term masculinity. This is a prime example. They've got words like synonyms. Okay. And these synonyms are uh, like vigor, strength, um, force, uh, machismo, <laughs> you know, like very powerful, strong, masculine words. But in nowhere do you see words like vulnerability, honesty, integrity, right? Vulnerability, like these aren't showing up, but yet you look at feminists or feminism, uh, or sorry, not feminism, femininity, like masculinity, uh, you get docility, kindness, you know, like the other words that are much more endearing. And, and I'm like, well, why can't the masculinity definition include those kind of synonyms too? And this is like a paradigm shift for us to start to, to adapt this. I'm not saying that it happens overnight, but we have to start engaging in this bigger conversation. And, and so I was feeling like, where do I go? Who do I connect with? Is there a community of other men that are noticing this and want to challenge themselves to go from good men to being great men? And what does it mean, mean to be a great man? That's a very subjective term. What is that? And so creating a space where these kinds of conversations can happen. And, and literally three years ago, while living in Bali with my family, I met a guy named Nick, Nick Wood, got a great podcast. Actually, I'm going to make an introduction to it because I think you guys would hit it off. Okay. I had this idea with them. I was like, this is my idea. I want, you know, I'm bringing a group of men together every Monday night, dinner and discussion. And, and the, the underlying theme is what does it mean to be a great man? It caught on, you know, it started with like six guys showing up on a Monday. Next Monday, we had 10. Monday after that, 15. We would average out to 20 to 24 guys showing up every Monday between the ages of 18 to 70. <laughs> like, wow. Can you imagine this? A table of men coming together yeah. to talk about this stuff and to share what is real for us now, right now in the moment, what's real for you. And 
no fear of being vulnerable, sharing what's real for you right now. Like it's just, it was amazing to see because there's a lot of men out there that do want to challenge that status quo and, and say, like, you know what? These things are cliche. They're not relevant anymore, but it takes a big group of people to now challenge the current understanding to, to, to adopt a new one. Right. And, uh, so call it a movement, call it whatever you want. And I see pockets of this happening all over the place. You know, you see the work of Jordan Peterson. You see some of the stuff that's happening with Lewis Howes. You know, a good friend of mine, Connor Beaton. You know, Man Talks. Uh, he's based out of New York. Like, there's awesome pockets of this great stuff that's happening. And, and, and so it is happening. You know, and I wish I would just like tomorrow we wake up and there's a new understanding. What it means to be a man and vulnerability can be included openly and, and not seen as a negative right? Uh, because it's all based on the context that you use it. It is just a word. But how do you use the word? And how do you relate to the word? How does that word become a part of your life and explain your situation? That is the piece I think we have to warm up and, 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 and challenge because it's clearly seen as a negative as men, as you stated earlier. And I know for myself, that's what I thought as well. And so this, this whole journey, you know, this last decade has been really just me being well, more vulnerable at times. Also just acknowledging I am far from perfect. <laughs> you know, yeah. I never you had to drop me. you had to drop the shield so that yeah. you could learn how to become vulnerable. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's we have a as a society, I call it and I I speak about it as I call it the committee of they. So society in general, the committee of they has an expectation of people and they they should do this, they should do that. Now, if you add men into that, men need to this is what you're defined as this is a sculpture and this is how we're going to mold you as a man. You, you can't, we tell little boys, don't cry. We tell them don't be emotional. And the list goes on our conversation could go on forever. Just, we could have a podcast just on vulnerability. (laughs) Bottom line. So true, man. Bottom, bottom line. We need to, you know, be vulnerable, be willing to share. And those that would criticize our vulnerability aren't meant to be in our tribe. I've done talks about it, videos about the fact that life is about pedaling a bike and you're pedaling a bike and you're giving her and you're going and beside you on this either side, you have friends, family, they're pedaling. All of a sudden as your life journey goes on and you continue to develop and grow and maybe it's shedding your masculinity of what the definition of committee of base says you should be and you look and now all of a sudden they're a little bit farther behind you. And you keep on pedaling, you keep on pedaling. And now you can reach a fork in the road and your path mm. and journey with family and friends. You choose this way, they choose that way and they go off a mm. cliff. And you, mm. you end up keeping on going on your path. They, they, they self-destructed and you continue mm. to grow and change. And through that growth and change, we, again, we create more wisdom uh, because life never is full, not full of some challenges or character building moments. And we continue to develop and we continue to grow our tribe and the tribe of men that you talked about where you had, you have that group where you all got together on Mondays or maybe you still do virtually. We do virtually. Um, I think that's amazing because at the end of the day, I'm constantly striving to, to teach other men that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay. And, and teaching them about what feminism is. And that it's okay to say that you're as a man, that you're a feminist, that you're (laughs) somebody that understands what the trials and tribulations that the female population has gone through. And I actually do educate people. Mm. I hate the stigma of gender of male and female. 
Mm. We're human. Yeah. How about you take that off application forms? How about you take that away from anything, asking somebody whether they're male or female? Why does it matter? We're all, when we get cut, bleed the same way, we all have moments where we just are vulnerable and, and you know, we just break down and we cry. Men are taught to shield and hide it and keep mm -hmm. it in the closet. And then yeah. you go one step further. Then you ask, you add in the transgender community, right? The LGBT community mm -hmm. and what they've had to endure and hiding and living a life of, you know, being scared to talk. And we wonder why there's health issues in our society because people are, are taught to have a shield and block everything and keep their emotions. Women are taught to not you know, be, you got to be feminine. You got to be in a dress. You got to do this. You got to do mm. that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Men are taught the opposite. Take out the gender. None of us should feel like we can't be vulnerable and that we can't share who we want to, you know, who we are. And at the core, if people don't like that, take this path and go off the cliff, have fun. Right. I can't, can't worry about everybody. I only can worry about people that, Dwight has a world, Di has a world. Our worlds can interlock and overlap like two circles. And we have commonality in the middle. And then we have things that, of course, we're not going to be the same. But we, uh, on the things that we're not the same, we can come to a resolution that we can respect one another. We can agree to disagree um, and walk away. And then there'll be moments where our commonalities just make us connect. And we relish those moments. And the ones that we don't, we just go, oh. Die feels one way. I feel the other. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. He's an individual. He's a human. For those mm -hmm. listening, I just did air quotes. He's yeah. human. <laughs> Not that he's a male, that he's a female. Yeah. He's somebody that's being vulnerable. And he just shared some huge vulnerabilities. And I hope, you know, that the listeners or people that are going to watch this, watch it again. Like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. I can't wait to go through this and continue to jot down some more notes. There's so many more things that I wanted to discuss with you, but you know, we're, we're going to have to wrap this up. So one thing, part two. yeah, it's part two. Definitely. If you're interested, I'm getting, oh, yeah, sure, um, sure. so Di, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? Ooh, I like that, Dwight. Uh, well, I guess the first and foremost is, is I know it sounds cliche, but it, it, it's that, that idea of self-belief, right? Like trusting in oneself, trusting one's instincts, I, I think is something that we've, we at times are so good at questioning ourselves and that, that little feeling that we feel at times in our gut, in our heart, in our mind. Like I, I very often find myself, uh, you know, feeling a certain way uh, about something. And, and you know, it's, it's trusting oneself enough to, to, to have that internal dialogue, to, to actually sit with what it is that's making you feel that way to move forward, you know, to, to, to take some action. Because I think when, at least for myself, speaking from my perspective, and, and so please note when I'm saying this, this is not to be preachy in, in all means, but I'm just sharing what I've observed in myself and what I've seen can be duplicated. You know, this is the process piece that we were talking about earlier. Change is going to happen. We know that. It's a guarantee. But we can get in front of it. You know, I know I've gotten in front of it. I, I've had a more proactive 
relationship with change. And I believe everybody can do that, you know, and it, it's starting to recognize and asking ourselves simple questions like, can I do this? Whatever the thing is that you want to change, ask yourself, can I do this? You know, it's a matter of education, maybe getting some support, but when you get to that, yes, then you follow it up with, okay, if I do this, will it work? You know, this change that I want to make, if I start to do the things that I know is going to bring me closer to the result I want from this change, will it actually happen? Well, the answer is yeah. So now you've got two yeses that you've just confirmed for yourself. The third one is, is it worth it? You know, is the change itself worth it? Is it worth the work? Is it worth me going through this process, if you will, for change? And, and I often will ask people, you know, reframe it. If you're doing it as a group or as an organization, a community, it makes sense to say, is it worth it? But more importantly for individuals, those that are listening to this or watching this, look in the mirror, ask yourself, am I worth it? That's not so easy to answer at times. I will tell you, yes, you are, <laughs> you know, but you got to feel, yes, I am. And, and that just means you need more work, you know? And, and when I say work, it's just embracing this is your life and you can do whatever the heck you want with it, you know? Uh, so those are the three questions I want to leave people with, you know? Anytime you're facing any sort of change or challenges, it's like, can I do this? If I do it, will it work? And then lastly, am I worth it? Because if you can get those three yeses happening, oh, man you'll never look at change the same again. And that's wow. it. That's all. Yeah. Now. Wow. <laughs> Until part two. <laughs> part two. Yeah. I can't even imagine, you know, the people that are, you know, those of you that have been listening to this, watching it, I don't know about you, but so profound. This conversation has been absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Blessed and highly favored by God to, have this conversation and you know the nice thing about technology this is out there forever and i hope those of you that are struggling can find your way to getting help to getting some resolution to knowing that there's others out there that have gone through the journey of the school of hard knocks that have had character building moments and there's people like Di and myself that are willing to be vulnerable with you we're willing to share with you. We're willing to prop, you know, up your mindset. If we can't help you, I'm sure Dial like myself can recommend you, you know, to professional help. There's nothing wrong with it. I've gotten it. Dai's spoken of getting it. There's nothing wrong with it. So just realize that you're worthy, <laughs> that people care about you. Because, you know, just hearing the sound of my voice, always know. And hopefully, if you're struggling, keep this conversation in your mindset and realize that it's never too late to actually give a heck about your life, to live a life on purpose. And there's always people out there that are willing to help you. So while our time is almost up and I want to respect our listeners and your time, however, before we can end, can you please tell the listeners, Di, what is the best way to reach you? Oh, well, that's fortunately pretty easy with a unique name like Di Manuel. It's spelled D-A-I and then the last name is M-A-N-U-E-L. Welsh first name, Portuguese last name. Yes, I'm Canadian. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what, what I recommend is, you know, you can go to my website, which is my name.com, dimanuel.com. 
uh, or any social platform, I have my name. It's the advantage of having a unique name. It was really easy because it was unencumbered on pretty much every social platform. So uh, I am most active on Facebook and Instagram. And I always say to people, if you're on Instagram, just shoot me a DM, you know, shoot me a direct message, say, Hey, I heard you on Dwight's podcast. I love this. Or this is what I took away. This is my aha from what I heard you say. And that's a great way for us to start a conversation because I'm, I'm all about conversation and connection. So, oh, yeah, uh, so please, awesome. that's probably the simplest way. Otherwise, go to my website, over 1,500 articles and growing. Over the last 13 years, I've been blogging on that site. And uh, it's all geared to helping people live a great life. Uh, so I always tell people, just dive in. There's so much resources there and it's all free. It's like, there's no hidden agenda. It's just like, it's my way of just contributing and giving back. So uh, yeah, anyways, that's it for now though. That's, that's yeah. the best way to get me. Right on. And I'll make sure it's in our, in the show notes, which you can you. find on my website um, for the listeners and people watching, give a uh, which is another really easy thing to remember. Um, but thanks so much for being on give a, give a heck die. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn. It's never too late to give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com and until next time together let us all strive to give a heck